0: We're turning this evening to Second Samuel and to chapter four. Second Samuel in chapter four. Take the heckler forth. <laughs> Second Samuel chapter four. And when Saul's son heard that Abner was dead in Hebron, his hands were feeble. And all the Israelites were troubled. And Saul's son had two men that were captains of bands. The name of the one was Baana, the name of the other Rechab, the sons of Rimon, a Beerothite, and of the children of Benjamin. Beeroth also was reckoned to Benjamin. And the Beerothites fled to Gitaim and were sojourners there until this day. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame on his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass, as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. And the sons of Rimmon the Beerothite, Rechab, and Baana went and came about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who lay on a bed at noon. And they came thither into the midst of the house as though they would have fetched wheat, and they smote him under the fifth rib. And Rechab and Baana his brother escaped. For when they came into the house, he lay on his bed in his bedchamber, and they smote him, and slew him, and beheaded him, and took his head, and gapped them away through the plain all night. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth unto David to Hebron, and said to the king, Behold, the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, thine enemy, which sought thy life. And the Lord hath avenged my lord, the king this day, of Saul and of his seed. And David answered Rechab and Baana, his brother, the sons of Rimmon the Beerothite, and said unto them, As the Lord liveth, who hath redeemed my soul out of all adversity, when one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, Thinking to have brought good tidings, I took hold of him and slew him in Ziklag, who thought that I would have given him a reward for his tidings. How much more, when wicked men have slain a righteous person in his own house upon his bed, shall I not therefore now require his blood of your hand and take you away from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they slew them, and cut off their hands and their feet, and hanged them up over the pool in Hebron but they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the sepulchre of Abner in Hebron Amen again let's bow bow our heads in prayer now Father we come to thee we ask Lord that thou guide our meditations this evening as we go through this chapter and as we consider those wicked things that were done, the responses which came forth Lord as we seek to find application for our own lives Lord we Reckon that there is none who has done such wicked things as these, and yet, Lord, there is a propensity for sin in all of us. Lord, we pray that thou wouldst help us to be always aware of the battle which continues, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers. And Lord, we pray that thou wouldst help us also, even as we consider these things tonight, to receive unto ourselves a blessing from thee, a blessing of wisdom, a blessing of instruction, Lord, that we might hide these things in our hearts, that they might remain with us, even as we, in our reading of the scripture from day to day throughout the year, come across such things as this, that some of what is said may return to us, and even more, as thou dost cause us, cause our minds to expand by the word of God. So bless us then, we pray, and continue with us this evening. Receive the glory unto thyself, for in all things thou dost have the sovereignty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I have here the uh, explanation of what happened to more of the seed of Saul. And uh, when we consider it, it's it's quite similar, isn't it, to the death of Abner. Abner was taken aside in the gate of, uh, of Hebron, and he was slain surreptitiously under the fifth rib by Joab uh, there was no battle, there was no fight. He didn't lose in combat, uh, but he was knifed to death. And here, once again, we find a similar thing happening, this time to Ishbosheth. And Ishbosheth is not a strong man to begin with. I suppose we could ask the question why he was not there in the battle with Saul. If Saul was there, and Jonathan the warrior was there, and others of his sons also were there. Uh, then why was Ishbosheth not there? Well, it could easily be that he wasn't fit to be fighting. Uh, it could have been that uh, that was a, a mental thing, or it could have been it was a physical thing. Uh, but uh, certainly, it seems he was not in the battle, and Abner supported him, set him up. But as we have seen in Abner's life, Abner was a a man who controlled. From behind the scenes, and uh, it is quite likely that he was quite controlling in Saul's life, let alone in Ishbosheth's life. Certainly, when Ishbosheth uh, pulled him up over Rizpah, who was uh, Saul's uh, concubine, uh, that Abner went off uh, on a on a great rant against him, and Ishbosheth could say nothing, could answer him not a word because he feared Abner. So here is a, a gentle man a man who, although he was king because he was the offspring of Saul, nevertheless was not a danger and never probably would have been a danger to David either. But I want to consider this uh, passage of scripture and the the whole of the passage really um, and to draw from it some of the things which we find there. First of all, I want to consider with you this grievous plan uh, which was hatched by these two men, Baana and Rechab. Uh, then, secondly, the gruesome penalty uh, which, they, the, which they received because of what they had done. Um, but also to consider the gracious providence, which, was, uh, which is also there. And uh, just to note that also. God is always gracious. And though men's wrath uh, fights and seeks to destroy and to kill, yet the Lord delivers his people and his hand is upon them uh, for good. And, of course, we have eternal life, not just life, but life more abundant through Jesus Christ. So I want to consider this grievous plan, first of all, and think, think with you of, this, of the tenuous allegiance that these men had toward Ishbosheth. It tells us here again in verse 2, And Saul's son had two men that were captains of bands. The name of the one was Ba'ana, the name of the other Rechab, the sons of Rimen, a Beerothite of the children of Benjamin. For well, Beroth also was reckoned to Benjamin and Beerothites fled to Gitaim, with sojourners there, until this day. So these two men, it seems, uh, also fled from the situation and they do so after, after Abner has died. So in the previous chapter, just toward the end of the chapter, it's recorded for us that Abner has died, uh, that there has been a funeral held for him, that David has wept uh, that the people have wept also, uh, that there was a, a, a great sadness amongst them. And certainly, David makes it very plain that it was nothing to do with him. He didn't know that this was going to happen. He had nothing against Abner. And although David was a wise man and no doubt would have had his eye upon Abner and watched what he did and be careful that he wasn't usurped by Abner in the time to come, uh, nevertheless, he was willing to uh, receive Abner to himself. And we find that the people uh, uh, then also are saddened by it. Uh, and here we find that these two men. And I wonder—it uh, comes to my mind that whether that their allegiance to to uh, Ishbosheth was a very tenuous one. It was more of an allegiance, perhaps, to Abner than it was to Ishbosheth. If Ishbosheth was a weak man, and they, they obviously didn't fear him because he had gone to his bed in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, the scripture says. Interestingly, um, Matthew Henry makes a point of the fact of him being slothful, and we read nothing of it being particularly hot in, in the land of Israel in those days, uh, which I find very strange, because it actually says here that it came about the heat of the day, in verse 5, uh, to the house of Hishposheth, so it seems to me that it was a kind of a siesta that he was holding there. But Ishbosheth was was not a strong man, clearly, and he was a man who was on his bed. He he had gone to sleep in the afternoon and and he wasn't fearful. He didn't have guards watching over him. And these two men sneak in to kill him. They're they're not afraid of him. Uh, They were perhaps afraid of Abner. Abner was a mighty man of war, a mighty man of battle. Remember uh, when Asahel uh, chased after him to kill him and And Abner said to Asahel, turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Just turn aside. (coughs) I don't want to kill you. I don't want to kill you. And Asahel wouldn't do that. Uh, And he determined to try and kill Abner. But of course, Abner won that battle. That was a fight. Uh, There was a challenge. And there was a warning given. So although Abner was guilty in killing Asahel, nevertheless, it was at least in a battle. But here, uh, these are wicked men. Indeed, Joab, too, uh, who uses the excuse, perhaps, uh, that, they, that already Abner had killed his brother, <coughs> that he kills uh, Abner. <coughs> but these two men seem to have a tenuous allegiance. We have to be careful, don't we, of people who have an allegiance which is not what it seems. Not what it seems. And I, want, I want to just stop for a moment and think about this, even with it, within the church, that there are people who attend churches across the country, uh, who go to churches, but their allegiance is perhaps to the church, not to Jesus Christ. We need a, an allegiance to Christ. We need to be the followers of Christ. If we think of Ishbosheth here as a, a as a, a, a representative of Christ as the King, then the allegiance should be to him, not to Abner. Uh, and so often within, the, within a, a congregation, allegiance might be to the preacher, it might be to the form of worship, it might be to the church, but there's no actual allegiance to the king, to, to Jesus Christ. And that is what we need. We need to examine our own hearts then and say, well, why, why are we in the house of God? Do we love the Lord? Is it our desire to be here that we might hear of him? And so we find this tenuous allegiance uh, suggested, But there is also this uh, kind of a treacherous ambition, a treacherous ambition. David certainly looks upon what they do later on in this chapter as being very much like the Amalekite who came and gave uh, the report of Saul's death. And if you remember, it wasn't so very long ago we were considering 1 Samuel. We saw how that Amalekite arrived and how he had the band from uh, from Saul and the crown which Saul Saul had. And he presents them to David. And he comes with his tale. Whether the tale is true or not, we cannot tell. But his tale is that he came across Saul and Saul knew that he was wounded and that the archers were after him. And he said to the Amalekite, fall upon me and slay me. Because I don't want to be slain or taken uh, alive by the Philistines. And the Amalekites said, so I did what he asked and I slew him. And uh, uh, I have brought the crown and I have brought these things to you. So he, his boast was that he had delivered, he had delivered the enemy of David and, and had delivered David from his enemy, indeed, and, and had slain Saul, and therefore uh, the, his thought is that he should be rewarded. But David said, why did you dare to lift your hand against the Lord's anointed? And he called upon his young men to go and slay them. And the same thing seems to be here. Now, these two men, who recognised that Abner was bringing the nation up to join up, join with David, now are seeking for positions with David, they had been these two men, captains of bands. Uh, they had been there with Ishbosheth. Uh, it says, and Saul's son had two men that were captains of bands. So there was a connection there between them and Ishbosheth. And now they want that connection to be with David, so they say, Well, we'll slay Ishbosheth, take the head of Ishbosheth to David, and David will reward us with a position. That seems to be what is being said here uh, because of the response which David gives. And we see that there in verse 9 it says, As the Lord liveth who hath redeemed my soul out of all adversity. When one told me, saying, behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good tidings, I took hold of him and slew him in Ziklag, who thought that I would have given him a reward for his tidings. Certainly the thought seems to be here that these two men also thought that David would give them a reward for the head of ish But these are wicked men. These are men who have no care for soul or life these are men who sneak into a bedchamber while a man is asleep and slay him these are murderers and david has no time for murderers nor does the lord paul writes in romans chapter 3 And verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre, with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And that is these two men. Their feet swift to shed blood. They have no care for men. They have no care for souls. They have no care for this man. And their way is not a way of peace and not the way of the gospel. But it's a way of destruction. And way of misery and there is no fear of God before their eyes well I don't know if they feared God to to the end but they certainly feared David when he instructed his his young men to fall upon them and to slay them in the Proverbs also the Lord speaks of uh, of those who are swift in running to mischief in Proverbs 6 and verse 16 these six things and these all apply to these two men And, and we we need to keep Take these things into account in our own lives. But in Proverbs 6 and verse 16, the wise man says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, A false witness that speaketh lies and he that soweth discord among brethren. Many of these things apply to these two men. Maybe all of them. A proud look. Who are they? To go in to the one who uh, had a claim, at least, to being king and to slay him upon his bed. A lying tongue. They went in as though they had come to to gather wheat or to, to collect wheat from the house. And smote him. Hands that shed innocent blood. And again here as David says. How much more when wicked men have slain a righteous person in his own house upon his bed. Shall I not therefore now require his blood of your hand and take you away from the earth. Here is a man who is innocent blood. In the context of course we could say that no man is innocent. Uh, We are all guilty. But in the context here of Uh, seeking to overthrow David or to seek to be king in David's stead all of that is gone all of that is past. Uh, the Lord has so ordered it that even Abner himself is bringing the people to join David so that he might be king over all of Israel and not just over Judah and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations and as we have said their imagination is that David would have given him them a reward that's their imagination their imagination is for their own for their own gratification for their own advancement it's not really for david at all uh, they are looking for something for themselves feet that be swift in running to mischief and the reason i use these particular words and have done so already their feet are swift to shed blood feet that are swift in running to mischief is later on we find that when they are slain uh, the the david commands that they cut off their hands And their feet—it's their feet that have carried them into that house. It is their feet that have brought them to David. It is their feet which have been swift running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies. And again, here is the—they—they call Ishbosheth the enemy of David. And but he's not particularly the enemy of David. We haven't heard anything from Ishbosheth in our studies of First and Second Samuel. That he was the enemy of David, uh, Abner set him up as being the uh, uh, a challenger to David. But Ishbosheth himself seems to be a, a pretty mild-mannered character uh, who is just a, uh, a hand puppet on on Abner's hand. There's nothing there which would cause him to be uh, one who is the enemy of David. A you know, false witness then that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among, among brethren. And there was, a, there was a problem, of course. The problem was that now that, uh, that um, Abner has been killed, there was a fear amongst the people that perhaps this may not come about at all that the people uh, would would be drawn together. We well, see there in verse 4 when Saul's uh, chapter 1 chapter 4 verse 1 and when Saul's son heard that Abner was dead in Hebron his hands were feeble and all the Israelites were troubled. Well no no doubt troubled all to a man every Israelite but nevertheless he is saying that across the country people were worried. Abner is dead. Abner is the one who has led us. Abner is the one who is who is working out this this uh, um, connection to, to David and now he's dead and and the thought that that someone has slain him is this is this going to fall apart is can it still go ahead what is going to happen now? And so there is a discord sown among brethren we find these wicked feet then and wicked hands too when we consider that their hands were, To be cut off, we'll note that again in a moment. But just to read the verse from Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. The wicked hands and the wicked feet. These are the ones which are brought before David with the head of the king. And we see also not just their treacherous ambition to gain something by the death of this innocent man. But also their thievish approach. Or they came thither into the midst of the house as though they would have fetched wheat. And they smote him under the fifth rib. And Rechab and Ba'ana, his brother, escaped. Job 24 verse 14, it says, The murderer, murderer rising with the light killeth the poor and needy, and in the night is as a thief. These are murderers. These are killers. Murderers of a man. Murderers of a man for their own benefit. A grievous plan. We come then to this gruesome penalty. The anticipated reaction, of course, is gratitude and thanksgiving. And we have noted already that the one who had come before, seeking that same thing, received the same fate. David makes this an even worse thing. uh, Because he says of that Amalekite, well, by your own mouth you have uh, confessed... Whether you did it or whether you didn't, your mouth has confessed that you have slain the Lord's anointed and you need to, you must pay the penalty for that. Here they have come with the very head of the man. They are certainly guilty. They are not just guilty of saying we did this, but they actually have the head of the king in their hand and they bring that to David. And the reaction of David, of course, is that they should pay the penalty of their sin and there is a penalty of death in the scripture it's not the law of moses it is a part of the law of moses of course thou shalt not kill but it wasn't the law of moses but far beyond and far before uh, this death penalty which has been of course rescinded in this country uh, there was a thing in the paper the other day of someone who had killed someone who had escaped they were out on day release and they had they'd run away and now they were being hunted by the police you know, well Surely, the scripture tells us that they that take the life of a man, particularly in this kind of a circumstance, uh, is, their life is to be taken. Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, this early on in the scripture, it says, And surely your blood of your lives will I require, at the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. And David uses that same. Um, formula here because he says in verse 11 how much more when wicked men have slain a righteous person in his own house upon his bed shall I not therefore now require his blood of your hand and take you away from the earth Here is a just judgment of the king the king is the ultimate judge uh, at that time and his just judgment is according to the law of God that if you've taken the life of one, uh, particularly in this murderous form, uh, there's a, a, another law for those who perhaps have, uh, someone has lost their life because of negligence or because of a beast which they have, and there are other penalties then. And Indeed, Hebron was one of the cities to which a man might flee if it had been manslaughter. But this is evidently, very evidently murder. They have killed this man upon his bed. And David applies That penalty which god had given we see then that also that david's attested respect remember that david has a respect for the life of man just because here we are we see that david says well take them away and slay them we might think that david also is a man who who, uh, requires blood that he desires to kill and this is one of the arguments of course of which is made against the death penalty. Well, surely we shouldn't be just like the murderer and kill the killer. Uh, maybe well, we should be much more lenient toward them. But David is lenient. David had no thought to kill Abner even though Abner actually was his enemy. Actually did hunt him with Saul. But when Abner comes to him, he goes away in peace. And and he is ready to forgive. He is not a man who desires blood for the sake of blood. But he is a man who desires, who requires blood for the sake of one who has lost his life. And we know that Saul was a man who would slay. First Samuel nineteen fifteen. Saul sent messengers again to see David saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may slay him. This is Saul's attitude. And, and consider this as well that though Ishbosheth is the king here, which is mentioned, that these two men, if they are the servants of Ishbosheth, were the servants of Saul before. Is this what they had learned from Saul? That they should slay a man upon his bed? You see how our attitudes toward the world can affect other people. How careful we must be about who we mix with. Now these two men were the servants of Saul. Saul had no uh, qualms about bringing David on his bed, on his sick bed, that I may slay him. And these two men are saying the same thing, that they will not go in to this man upon his bed and slay him. They are doing what Saul was willing to do. And perhaps they thought, well, David's going to be the same and he's going to be quite happy when we turn up. It's interesting in the scripture sometimes we miss these little little points don't we of the the similarities which are here and how the writer is almost picking that out from from 1st Samuel saying well this is what Saul did and this is what they actually did but see how David reacts where Saul was was the instigator of such a death David thinks that this is horrendous it is horrific David's attitude his respect for life may be seen in these ways in 1st Samuel 24 verse 10 behold this day thine eyes have seen how the Lord had delivered thee that is Saul today into mine hand in the cave and some bade me kill thee but mine eye spared thee and I said I will not put forth mine hand against the, my Lord for he is the Lord's anointed And even then, when Abishai says to David, when they're in, in, uh, they have Saul at their mercy once again. And Abishai says to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now, therefore, let me smite him. I'm not expecting you, David, to take the spear and to smite him to the ground. Because I know that you don't want to do that. And that you don't want to lift your hand against the Lord's anointed. So let me do it. I'll do it i'll take the responsibility abishai is saying he says let me therefore smite him i pray thee with the spear even to the earth at once and i will not smite him the second time so i'll make sure he's dead the first time you don't have to worry because you won't be guilty i'll be guilty but you'll be delivered and how important that is again this this comparison between these two because abishai was willing to do What these men actually did, he is saying, well, I'll slay him for you, David. I'll take the punishment for you, David, then you can go free. But David still will not accept that. He says, no, we're not doing that. We're not going to slay the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to slay the Lord's anointed. And neither are you. And when the Amalekite comes and said, I have slain the Lord's anointed, he puts him to death. And when these two come and say they have slain the enemy of David and the, the, uh, the one who's followed after Saul, David puts them to death also. It is not his way. He has a respect for life. He has a respect for God. He has a respect for those who, who, who live in this world. Enemies they may be, but he won't put forth his hand against them. 1 Samuel 24 then also. As saith the prophet of the ancients. Wickedness proceedeth from the wicked. But mine hand shall not be upon thee. David is a man who is willing. For reconciliation. But here he has this appalled response. He is appalled by what they have done. It's interesting that when David. David puts this judgment upon this man. There is, a, there is a comparison also to be made between this judgment, which David um, sets against these two men, and the judgment of God. Again, there's a kind of a parallel, a kind of a connection. If you consider that David has them put to death, and then we read, and cut off their hands and their feet. And hang them up over the pool of Hebron. First of all we know that the scripture says. Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. That the law of Moses said that the person who commits murder is to be hanged upon a tree. And that's the curse. Because they have taken life. And no one has the right to take life. Apart from God. Unless the Lord commands it. As he does in the case of murder. And the parallel. Do you remember from 1st Samuel. Samuel. Can you think of anyone there who, whose hands and feet were cut off? Anybody who lost their hands and feet at the judgment of God? No, First Samuel, Dagon, Dagon, who fell in the in the house of Dagon before the ark of god and his hands were broken off and all that was left to him was the stump so his hands and his feet were broken off So there's a parallel once again the judgment of god this is through david david of course is a is a picture or a a type of christ in so many ways and christ one day will be the judge and the smoke of their torment will rise up before the Lamb, we, re- we read in the book of Revelation. Christ will judge at that point. And here we see these who have their hands and their feet cut off. Their hands, which were wicked hands, and their feet, which were swift to shed blood, are removed from them. Just as God judged Dagon the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. And we come finally to this gracious providence. First of all, a promise fulfilled. The promise, of course, was that David would become king. And the Lord has worked through all of David's life to make him king. But as we read to before in that Psalm 76 These were wonderful words and they've always stayed with me but I can never quite remember which psalm they came from so I had to search it. But Psalm 76 and verse 10 I'll try and remember it from now on uh, because it has come up in many many ways. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. How does God use wicked men to accomplish his purposes? Well because God's God's work in this world is one of restraint. God holds us back from sin. God doesn't cause anybody to commit sin, but he does hold us back from sin, knowing that if, as soon as he releases us and lets us go, we will run into sin and, and dive into it as, a, as the, the, the great um, mud pit of the, of, of the, of the pigs. We, we will rejoice in all kinds of evil remember in Romans chapter 1 where he talks about um, just releasing people to go their own way and all the sins and all the corruptions which, which are in the heart of man as soon as God lets go. So just uh, think of those words, I can't, they won't come to me, just off the top of my head. So Romans chapter 1, at the end of the chapter, it says, Wherefore God also gave them up To uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts. To dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed the truth of God into a lie. And worshipped and served a creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. And so these are the vile affections which dwell within the heart. And God restrains men from them. But when he lets them go. They go straight into it. And here when we consider those who could have been a hindrance to David David has nothing against them David's not going to destroy them but nevertheless the wicked destroy the wicked and David is left as the king over the nation with his hands clean and he can say I didn't know anything about Abner it was not me I was was appalled that, that Joab should do such a thing but nevertheless it wasn't me and again, of this man, uh, Ishbosheth, i I didn't command this. I think this is an evil and a wicked thing. But nevertheless, wicked men have accomplished it and I have put them to death. It wasn't me. Nevertheless, everything worked out as God said it would. And God is able and he says to us, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. The Lord alone has authority to give and to take life because the life that we hold the life that we live we live by the power of God who upholds all things by the word of his power we see David's principles displayed we see how that Abner after he is slain they bury Abner in Hebron which is the king's city at this time And how the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the people took notice of it, chapter 3, verse 36, and it pleased them, as whatsoever the king did pleased all the people. And again, these men, who are hanged up over the pool in Hebron, that they might see the judgment against sin. And there are many things which are accomplished here. There is the, the removal of all, which is a vestige of that which, is, uh, w- which might be a problem to David. But there is also an exaltation of, Christ, of David. That he is lifted up and all the people looked upon him. And whatsoever the king did pleased all the people. But then finally, there is a prophecy fashioned here. We think about the Saviour's ascension to the throne. Again, that's Psalm 76, verse 10. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath thou shalt shalt thou restrain. And those words, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken by wicked hands of crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. The ascension of Christ to the throne. God clears the way and he clears it by the hands of wicked men. Even the wicked, even the wrath of man shall praise him. All the world thinks that they're against God. They think that they're going to overthrow God. They think that they can defeat the gospel. They think that they can show men that there is no God and so on. But even in all of the works which man seeks to do in this world, God is sovereign. And everything is working inexorably to the glory of Christ. And in the day of judgment, when men are calling for the rocks and mountains to fall upon them, Christ will be exalted and exonerated as one who gave his life for sinners. And everyone who has stood against him, every enemy of the gospel, Christ can say, but I died and I died for sinners even while we were yet the enemies of God, Christ died for us. And who can say that Christ is in the wrong? Again, we see man's wrath, but the Savior's grace. We have seen already that here uh, their hands and their feet are cut off. But when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, we find not our hands and our feet cut off, but Christ's hands and his feet nailed to the cross. Because Christ takes the judgment which is against us upon himself, He is even greater, even more glorious than this king who seeks to put to right the wrongs of men and the wickedness of men, and demands that they lose their lives or have taken innocent life. But Jesus Christ does not demand that of us, but he takes it himself. He dies upon the cross. He bears the judgment so that we might go free. Oh, what grace there is in Jesus Christ. And we see once again how the Lord foreshadows the work of Christ. There are many who are wicked. There are many who seek after their own purposes and their own ways. But all that we might desire the Lord, that we might seek to walk in righteousness, showing forth the grace which the Lord gives and yet the obedience also to his word and to his way.